Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hi, welcome to Founders in Asia. And uh, today we're very excited to be welcoming uh, one of the most interesting founders uh, I've met across uh, Asia over the last few months, Anna Hatanto, who's the CEO and founder of financial investment and career platform, The New Savvy. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Judy. Thanks for having me. Hi. I'm very excited to be speaking to you. Great, great. Thank you for your time. Uh, so actually, we, we met a few months ago for the first time at a, at a Women in Blockchain conference, and we happened to be sitting next to each other, uh, sorry, at, at a lunch, Women in Blockchain lunch. We were sitting next to each other and, and hit it off, and uh, I found your story just really fascinating, and I thought, this would be a great place for us to start as we explore the interesting stories of entrepreneurs and how they've started and built their businesses across Asia. Yes. So, yeah. So uh, I guess if, if we can just start with, first of all, I'd love to explore how did you start your business? And actually, if you can tell us a little bit more about what the new Savvy is and what it does. Okay, so the new savvy is Asia's leading financial investments and career platform for women. And our vision is to empower 100 million women to achieve financial happiness. Uh, we deliver high quality content through education, conferences and media. Um, soon we will have an e-learning platform, a personal finance planning app and e-commerce store. Right. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we are currently in Singapore and Hong Kong, launching in Philippines and Malaysia in the next few months. Right, okay. And yeah, that was going to be my next question. So are you based in Singapore? Uh, I am and the team is based in Singapore. My C- uh, marketing director is in Hong Kong and we have an, uh, a, lead, a chief ambassador in each country. Right, right. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. And so that's interesting. So you're going to be launching local market versions in the Philippines and Malaysia. Uh, will they be local language versions as well? Because I think the new savvy is in English from uh, the platform that I've seen so far. Um, no, actually for all the countries, we will focus more on building the community by events or conferences first. Right. So we did think about that, right? Because in Southeast Asia, localization and language is a big issue. Um, but we decided that we'll stick to English for now. Right, right. Okay, great. And so what I'd love to explore is then, uh, because you have a really interesting backstory uh, about, you know, how you started out working in banking uh, and then developed this idea. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your background is, how you got into this. Okay. So I, before the new savvy, I was in banking for almost 10 years. So I worked in investment banking, private equity and wealth management. Um, and I think since young, I've always wanted to work in finance. I really love it. I fell in love with it. But the other reason is to actually make sure that I have enough money. So my family struggled financially since I was young and my parents were business people. So I saw the way they struggled and starting a business was never something I wanted to do. It was, I I just wanted to work in finance and have enough money so that I could buy a, a, a home for our own. Right. Hello. And I was and I had some time off. Yeah, uh, I was sick. I had some time off, and I started reading about education uh, methods for children. What I wanted to build was financial education for children because I think that financial education is lacking in Singapore, in Asia, and in the world. 
um, you know, and I always, I mean, I grew up half, uh, so I'm half Indonesian, grew up 10 years in Indonesia and came to Singapore to study. What I realized was that everyone is expected to be good in everything. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right? Yeah. I mean, the kids now have it even tougher. So we are supposed to be good in math, sciences, English, tech. But nobody teaches us to have a basic relationship with money, something that is going to be with us our whole lives. And so um, I was on medical leave for about two months and I actually bought a lot of books on children's education, how they learn. Um, I had a partner that, want, um, that was supposed to come in and at the last minute before our launch, she actually pulled out. So I asked myself then, okay, I just want to give back. I didn't want to start the new savvy as a business. Right. What I wanted was to promote financial education. And I thought, okay, what's the fastest way to reach the number, most number of people in an underserved market? And I realized that financial media has always been very male-dominated. If you go to any investments conference, a lot of it are mostly males. Even if you talk about investment accounts, a lot, uh, 70% are actually uh, male accounts. Mm. So I realized that the, what is lacking is a platform that speaks to women and makes finance actually engaging and relevant to them. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting because particularly as you look at uh, who actually holds a lot of purse strings in families across Asia and, and uh, from what I understand, a lot of, a lot of the times it's women who are actually needing to make some of the decisions. Yet, uh, as you say, a lot of the work actually targets men uh, is that sort of what you found? <laughs> okay, so it's interesting you say that because it, I think uh, while I was doing the research, 70% of purchase decisions in Asia is made by females. Mm. And I always tell people, if you think about it, you know, um, I mean, most people, uh, if they're still living at home with their parents, who, who buys the soap, right? Who buys the groceries? Most of it are bought by the mother, regardless of whether the mom is a working mom or not. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that uh, struck me was when I was in banking, a lot of the money is decisions were controlled by the males, the investment decisions. Um, the other thing that struck me was also a lot of my friends and a lot of the women in Asia are actually working, and they are earning more, and a lot of them are actually saving more, but they are not managing their money. Mm. So that uh, that is a whole spectrum of women who actually need financial education yeah yeah yeah. and so when you uh so it sounds like you had an idea for this business you did a lot of your own research when you were developing out the idea did you then go into market and do uh do research uh with individuals uh or how did you actually sort of test out the the validation for the idea (laughs) actually um I didn't really do any research. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I did. I asked around. I asked my friends. So I, I graduated from Singapore Management University. I studied finance and quant finance. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my closer girlfriends were marketing or HR students. What happened was before I started, I actually asked them, you know, what are some of the topics that you're interested in? You know, what are some financial um, knowledge that you want to have? And some of them said, oh, you know, um, I don't really care. I just save my money. And the other said, I remember this very, very clearly. Mm. And the other said, um, I'm not sure. I just let my hand, husband handle everything. Right, right. Yeah. So I was really, really shocked. And I 
realized that, okay, if, I mean, we grew up, I mean, we graduated from a business school and if the attitude towards money is, um, is like my friends, then I think an education is needed. The reason I said I didn't really do research is, um, I think looking back, I should have, but I just wanted to do something and um, contribute to society. Like I said, I didn't think that I was going to do this as a business. Right. I just wanted to start something to actually spur people to read more and find out more about their finances. Right, right. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that actually because then, you know, I can see, you know, and I, I've read about this when I've read articles uh, or other interviews with you or even looking at your website as well, I can see that the the idea seems very much grounded in something that you really believe in, this empowerment of of women to be able to make better financial decisions. And so I think that that clearly comes through and it's interesting then it sounds like it started as a passion project but then it's actually turned into a business. Uh, yeah. is- I think it is because um, I think one of the things that I always obsess about is, you know, how do I move women along the spectrum of the uh, personal financial management, right? There are peop- women who have never thought of her finances. There are some who save money and believe that it will be enough for retirement or rainy days. And then there are some that has um, their beginner investors but, mm. and some who are more advanced. But mm. the thing is, how do we... I think my focus is to impact these women and move them along the financial spectrum. And in return, I think women are very, women are creatures who share, right? And I think the, when we have changed their lives, they will actually pay it forward to other females in their lives. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really interested in this idea that, you know, you started out with actually a problem, a clear problem that you saw from talking to people that you knew, it was a space that you were already involved in to some extent because you had a banking background, but then you've actually built it around something that you were passionate about. Uh, I think, you know, certainly what I've found from talking to other entrepreneurs, some of the challenges they've found is when they've actually been trying to build out something that is, you know, because building a business can be quite challenging and if yeah. if they <laughs> quite, I think that's an understatement I've just said there, but you know, it can be very challenging. And so if you don't have something that you're passionate about, that you really, truly believe in, when those challenges hit, it can be really hard to get up in the morning and continue to focus. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think passion is one thing, um, but okay, so I'm going to be, I actually really hate it when people say, uh, you know, passion is enough to bring you. Mm. Because throughout this two and a half journey, I feel that um, I have been dragged through the mud more than I can imagine. You know, I, I'm not saying that being a founder is harder than working in the corporate, but clearly emotionally, you are more tied to it, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, and I would I say as a founder, yes, I do think it is harder than working in a corporate <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> when you, okay, to be fair, I've never really worked in a you know traditional corporate job. Even my wealth management, I consider that as a as I mean you can take you know, you can consider that as a business by itself. Mm. But the thing is, I think in, in these tr- close to three years I have because it's just like having a baby. Every small thing becomes a major thing, right? And you get so obsessed yeah. with 
because it's your, you know, it's, it's your baby and everybody's problems become your problems. Um, the biggest thing for me was actually, you know, th- there are a lot of days I ask myself, why am I doing this, right? And you get so depressed by it and you just, mm. you just have to bounce back up. Um, last year, actually, our website got hacked and we lost everything for two years. So we were planning a two-year birthday party. Oh, and, Yeah, and we, we got hacked. And that was a very traumatizing time. And so so the thing is, um, you know, going back to the passion, I mean, am I passionate about this? Yes, but I think a lot of time the passion will run out. And I always believe that people are passionate about something that they are good at. And being a founder or an entrepreneur, you're always constantly in a state of not being good enough. Mm, mm. Yeah. So for I, me... That's yes, a really right? good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, because... I, I think, I mean, same with I think most founders, right? There are days where you think that, you know, you're doing well, but most of the days you just feel that nothing is good enough. Not enough sales, not enough page views, not enough customers, not enough, you know, products, not good enough. But mm. I think being a founder, one of the most important things for me is to have a purpose. And the purpose is to actually help others to impact women in the region. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think, I think, you're absolutely right. I think there are two components to this. As a founder, you need to have the, the passion to for the drive to start this in the first place. Yeah. And then the purpose is what keeps you going, knowing that you're actually helping solve someone else's problem or helping others in some way. That's, that's what keeps you going on those tough days. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, and I think the last part that I always emphasise is to have a process. Because, you know, it's very nice to say that I want to do this, do that. But you need to have a process of making sure that and a plan to get to what you want to achieve. Mm, Yeah. So actually, let's explore that then. This is something that uh, is uh, certainly playing on my mind uh, as a a founder at the moment because we're at the stage where we are really, uh, we've spent the last few months really sort of buckling down and getting all of our processes in place. And it might sound a bit odd because we've been going for about two years, but I, <laughs> I, re- I really felt like those la- the, the first two years were just working out, okay, what the hell are we doing here? And now it's actually creating a proper business. Mm. Can I ask, did you set that up from the beginning or uh, is this something that has evolved over time? How have, you, uh, how have you planned out your processes to actually create and build the business or is it something that you thought through well up front or has evolved i think i will start with saying that i'm the worst at like processes you Mm -hmm. know even when i was um working in corporate i'm always i'm more of a you know like once i think of something i'll put my everything there right and a lot of people are actually like that um yeah if you study a lot of so i study a lot of psychology and you know personality types Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, especially if you're in sales, you are like that, right? Mm. Um, but the thing is, one thing that I realized early on was to document the processes because I realized that if I want, for very long actually, um, for about six months, I started the, the, the website, the company from my house and then I moved on to a, like a small co-working space. But mm-hmm. I realized that for me to level up, was to actually pass this, pass the task over to people that I trust. Mm. Uh, and to do that, you actually need to tell them 
what to do because otherwise, I think one of the issues that I had was people management. I've never managed anyone before. And one of the re- things, one of the reasons I, I mentioned processes are very important is to act because, you know, a lot of times it's in, in your head, right? I mean, you are, especially if you're a solo founder, mm. a lot of the things that you're thinking is in your head. And you expect people to know, but the problem is what you say may not be what they hear. So having a, a clear documentation of processes, having a clear idea of what you want to achieve, where you want to go, actually help other people to help you build the platform or the business that you want. Yep, yep. And so can I clarify then, are you talking about uh, business strategy or uh, job descriptions? You know, which when you talk about process, which... Which components are you talking about? We document everything. We yeah. have a manual and an uh, SOP. So right. in fact, when one of my advisors came on board, um, he's a very experienced media person. When he came on board, he said, I can see that you're quite OCD because you document everything, <laughs> all the right. little details. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so what? what's the size of your team now? Uh, we are six full-time. Mm-hmm. So six of us that uh, we do different things, but we do have a lot of freelancers. Right, yeah. We have about six to eight rotating freelancers, and the reason is we don't need that much. Uh, so, for example, a writer, I don't need the writer to be there all the time Yeah. Uh, to save costs to, we are quite lean. Right, yeah. And uh, so that team, the, the six people, it, does that include your Singapore and Hong Kong team members? No, no, it's only for Singapore. Right, right, okay. And then so you've got someone in Hong Kong as well and then are you working with other freelancers across the region? Uh, well, across the world, I think. Right. So I love working with freelancers and, in fact, one of the things that I've been considering recently for the past month and I've never told anyone, so... Mm-hmm. Right, um, okay. Is, is it possible to build a totally remote team? You know, because the idea, I mean... I think for our kind of business, okay, I have thought about it. So, I mean, my boyfriend runs a data analytics company. There's 50 of them. So, it's not possible to do a re- to do remote work. Right, yeah. But for something that I'm doing other than the conference, is it possible to do something totally remote, right? Mm. And just because I think when you give people the autonomy to do the things that they love at their own time, people actually appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is we use a lot of freelancers for example, um, you know, on Upwork, just because they are paid by the project, in, uh, that's one. And number two, they are reviewed. So they will try to actually edit whatever job to your satisfaction. Yeah. You know? yeah. And this actually, this is actually, I think it's a better model than making sure somebody comes nine to six, you know, making sure they're there and wondering whether they are following the timeline. So, you know, that's why I actually really like working with, uh, with freelancers. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. We actually use a number of freelancers through Upwork as well and generally the experience has been pretty good. And as you say, if you, if it's not quite, uh, if you don't quite get what you want, then they will happily uh, work on continuing to refine it till it gets to the point where you need it. Look, I think there's definitely, there's something inter- interesting in that, you know, building a, a team of freelancers. Uh, I think you know, it certainly helps to have a couple of people who are your lieutenants effectively who can help to manage that work across a broad range of freelancers as well because then that's, I think, the difficulty is you then build scalers and then uh, yeah. however many people you need to 
manage at a, at a particular time. But then that's interesting too, going back to your processes. So then because you've got this standard operating procedure in place and how you work, does, is that then something that do you onboard freelancers as well as a part of the process? Is that the way that you manage them? Uh, okay, so for example, let's say um, writing, right? I we have we have a clear guideline on our um on content guideline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it it cannot be promotional. You cannot be selling anything. It has to be high quality, um, you know, great linguistic. Uh, sorry, great in language and all that. Yeah. But most importantly, it has to be useful to women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so all these are documented. So whenever we hire somebody new, we tell the person what to do, how many, uh, the number of words, how many backlinks we need, you know, how do you do the SEO for each article. I think these are very important things to know. Yeah. Because I have been doing it for, for three years now, right? And I, because it's my business, I'm so obsessed with it. Yeah. But when <laughs> yes. I hire somebody new, the person may not know what is the best way to approach it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even I just what, what the right tone is and personality yeah, for the brand. Yeah, and, yeah. Tone is very important to us. And I think the other thing that I, I think there's, I, I think people tend to be obsessed with, you know, how many people are there in, you know, in your, in your company. And the more number you say, the more people think that you're more successful. But yeah, I, you know what I mean? And I, I, I agree. It's nice to have teammates to be there with you to discuss or, you know, to, to actually, um, plan a project, but I think that in I'm thinking about other unless it's an event that we are covering or a real life um thing that we need somebody. I'm not sure whether we actually need people to go to work. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think also you know certainly what I've found one of the benefits for us over the last couple of years has been you know working with. Uh, the increasing number of senior experienced talent who are making themselves available in the gig economy, particularly as we see a lot of people, you know, leave uh, agency land uh, wanting to do their own thing or wanting to just consult on their own. <laughs> That's actually been a real benefit for, for us. because. Well, how we, do you work with them? Well, so we, uh, most of the people that we work with are uh, people who I've either worked with before across different agencies or clients or just okay. people who I know through the extended network. Yep. So, I mean, it's great because it means that when we have a specific skill set required or a particular project that just needs, you know, someone to plug into it, there are often people around who, who we can plug in. Uh, so there are there are other implications, though, I think, you know, and certainly it's probably a bit different for you than it is for me, but as, a, as an employment pass holder here in Singapore running a business, we need to have a, a fixed team here. For yep. to to continue to have the uh, the visa status that we do and and you know continue to run the business here, so that that's certainly an implication. So we need to have mm. that established team, but then uh, we are able to bring in other senior freelancers to to help with with different projects, and that really helps because you know putting senior full time staff on the books is to be honest just not an option for us at all at the, at the moment. But being able to plug people in uh, is a, is a way to be able to meet some of the demands that we have. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I think that one of those things that is you know clearly very very tricky for most people. Mm, yeah. Okay, so uh, 
What I'd love to talk to you a little bit about is then you mentioned that, so you're operating in Singapore, you've got a presence in Hong Kong and you're looking to expand in other markets. Talk to me a little bit about uh, working across the different markets in Asia, your experiences uh, working with different, uh, within those different markets and even how you decide where you're going next. Okay, so um, I've always wanted to, you know, expand, right, naturally, but it took me at least a year to think which parts of Asia we, we should be in. Like, just now as we discussed, uh, language is a big problem. So one of the places that I really want to expand to is Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Because clearly I'm, uh, my dad is Indonesian. I always have a special, you know, Indonesia is always special to me. And even as a banker, I used to go there, uh, travel to Indonesia twice a month. Mm-hmm. The thing is, once I was doing more research and finding out more about it, I, I find that it's a slightly more difficult for us to expand to Indonesia uh, because of the attitude towards money, uh, the language, and just how you know the, the, the country is divided. So that's why until now we we haven't moved there. Right. We haven't. Right. Yeah. What do you mean by just how the country is divided and the, the attitude? I think first, you know, like Indonesia has 250 million population, right? But only 10 million is in central Jakarta. It's in Jakarta. Mm-hmm. You know, for us to hold an event, let's say a weekday night, yep. it, for them to travel to the place, it's already a nightmare. Yeah, right. And just for those people listening who aren't familiar with Jakarta, it's, uh, it's very well known <laughs> for its traffic smells, which can mean that uh, you can get stuck in traffic easily for two hours. Yeah, it's crazy. And and the thing is, and I don't think people want to give up their weekend. So if we do hold an event, what is the value and how do we maximize attendance? Mm. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, second, I, I from my understanding, while we were exploring Indonesia last year, was if you have a charge, so if your events are paid event, you have to set up a company. And to set up a company, you need an Indonesian Right. So yep. yeah, so it was just too much problem for us to settle. Mm, mm. Yeah. So, um, and so just on that question then, uh, or that point about then, if you want to run a paid event in another market, uh, how have you found that then in in the other markets that you're exploring? Are there ways around that? Okay. So the only part, the only place that we have been exploring is Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I think that um, okay, from my understanding, it. Uh, when we speak to the authorities, it's actually beneficial for us to set up a banking account in Hong Kong. And that's something that we are trying to explore. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I think the most important thing is also, um, you know, looking at the market, right? When, we, uh, when we, we had our launch in Hong Kong, I was very, very surprised at how active and how, you know, I, I think how passionate the women in Hong Kong were. You know, a lot of the women were, uh, they, they were already investing. It was just a matter of what and how to invest better. A lot of the women actually came up to us and said, you know, if you need speakers, if you need anything, just let us know. Right. They were very, very, very helpful. Right. Great. Great. Yeah. And and so then the other markets that you're looking to explore, is that not from the perspective of running events in those markets just yet? Yes. Okay, great. So... Can you talk to me a little bit about 
at how you have scaled the business from a financial perspective. Are you bootstrapping this? Have you looked to inject funding into the business? I'm interested in hearing how how founders are you know look to look to build out their businesses and also particularly what the environment is like here in Asia and how we can uh, look for funding if that's a, an approach. Okay, um, when I first started, I put in some of my own money, and I, after one about fifteen months, we raised funding from um, a few investors, and uh, yeah, and and we we raised. Um, quite a sizable amount and so far it has been uh, funded through that. One of the problems that we have is of course con- uh, thinking of how to keep monetizing and finding revenue so that we become a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. I, I think for us, for me specifically, if we can avoid funding or raising more money, we will try to. I think it is a, it is a good issue to have you know, if you need funding, then I, there, there's more capital in Asia now, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I think personally for me, I'm a bit uncomfortable with using other people's money to build a business. And so if I can actually be profitable, we will try that as much as possible. Yeah, right. Right. And so when you uh, did the fundraising, was that primarily out of Singapore or how did you approach that? No, uh, well, what, uh, two is Singapore and one from a uh, family office from Australia, actually. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, I think my investors are great, you know. And, I mean, I'll be honest and say, right, say it here. I, I think they know that I'm trying to build a business, but I think more, most importantly, they understand the mission and is on board with it. I right. think what matters to yeah. them is to actually help women across the, the region. Yeah, right, it, it, okay. And I think that's one of the reasons where we kind of, um, I kind of avoided uh, getting money from uh, from venture capitalists. I, not because I mean we were in we were in talks with two or three of them, but one of the reasons I realized if if, if I take money from a uh, a VC, then they are expected to have certain metrics that they need to fulfill, mm. and I wasn't sure whether early on I could actually fulfill those metrics and it won't be fair to those investors, to those VCs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to ruin that relationship because for me, I I think what is most important is actually trying to achieve whatever you promise, promise to. And if you can't, then I think it's better not to set unrealistic expectations from both parties. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because there's also, you know, as, as we look at the... The, the founder already has a load of pressure on them in terms of making the business work. Then to deliver against those metrics from whoever's invested in the business certainly displaces a, uh, you know, a, another level of stress. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, in, in order to achieve scale, oftentimes the only way to do that is through, is through external funding. So I think, you know, it sounds great that you've got people on board who are bought in to the mission of the business. Mm. Uh, how do you keep them in the loop on, on how the business is developing? How regularly do you update them or work with them on what you're doing? Um, every quarter. <laughs> right. What, yeah, what? It's, it's actually quite, I, I think... Yeah, I think taking, you see, that, that's another thing, right? Taking outside funding 
gives you a lot of added responsibilities like seed, you know, bot seeds, uh, update, and and all that. And and that's something that is only fair because if somebody gives you their money, these are the things that are expected of you unless yeah. you can get out of it, right? But yeah, those those things actually take a lot of time and and you want to give a proper update because you don't want, you don't want to say something that is not true, right? Yes. So yes. um so yeah, I, I think that that's one of the reasons where we are actually quite reluctant to get funding because then it, it just complicates the whole matter. You see, I'd rather be spending my time on work and and, and whether product development, sales or managing people. Yeah. 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 So, and, and then just in terms of the, the business and where it's at uh, in terms of revenue and the, the different streams of revenue bringing in, what's the business model? Where are you primarily bringing revenue in from? Okay. So a lot of our, uh, most of our revenue come from sponsorship and advertisements mm-hmm. from content marketing, because we do write uh, about companies. Um, so SGX, CPF, uh, most of the banks are our clients. This year, we were, uh, we actually have a conference. So last year was our first conference. It's called The Future is Female. It's a full day personal finance, uh, investments and career conference where we discuss topics such as, you know, what is the market outlook, whether you should be investing in a property, personal branding for your career. And this year, so last year we had 250 female attendees and 50 speakers. This year we are aiming to have a thousand people. Right. Great. Yeah. Great. And as, so, as, sorry, was that in Singapore? Yes, in Singapore. And yeah. sorry, so this year, sorry, this year in Singapore we are aiming to have thousand people. Uh, partly because it's free, but the talks will be charged. Right. But yeah. In, in Hong Kong, we will be having our first conference, and it will be we are targeting to have two hundred to two hundred fifty female attendees. Right. Great. Okay, oh, that's exciting. And then you mentioned as it's well... It's actually that- pretty scary. Oh, it- <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, you know, once you've done one in one market, then the the concept can be replicated in other markets. Uh, so you mentioned, you mentioned as well then that you're looking to explore Malaysia and the Philippines next. What's the thinking yeah. behind those two markets? I think Philippines because they have very high level of uh, English literacy. A lot of the people speak uh, uh, speak English, and the other thing is, um, when I went there for uh, when I was I gave a speech for ASEAN Women Forum, and a lot of the women there were saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to do the new survey in in Philippines because in Philippines they have this thing called like the um, salary day where people will actually use up all their salary and they need to scream and say for the last week and then when the salary comes they will actually splurge and it splurge and treat themselves right. so, so, yeah, so, so salary day what is that is it something that happens cultural thing they were trying to explain that to me so during the salary day people basically go all out to enjoy themselves. Right, yep, yep. But I, 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 okay, so the thing is, I think this is a concept that is also prevalent in other countries, right? I mean, even in Singapore or in the UK or in Australia. Mm. So, um, but I realized that the women there are very open. They are very, very, you know, they actually 
are very receptive to um to money management lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have it in Philippines. Malaysia is, I think, you know, Malaysia and Singapore, you can't run away from each other. So yeah, <laughs> and, and and the thing is, um, I started my career of of being a banker in in for the Malaysian market. Right. So again, Malaysia is very special to me. The people are very warm. In fact, you know, when I I went to Kuching recently, the people are very very warm and very very receptive. Mm. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. And then, so, so we talked a bit about the business, and uh, what I'd like to explore a little is just some of the uh, some of some of the challenges uh, about being a founder and how you have overcome those. And we touched on some of them earlier in the in the podcast. Mm. Um, so I guess you know when you do have those challenging days, sort of how. You know, you you have the business purpose that you can always use as a north star to go back to, uh, which is a, a great way to continue to keep going. I guess I'd just like to hear a little bit about you know kind of what what you've been through on this journey and any insights that you can provide for other founders who are listening as they face some of the the tough days. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Maybe I share a story about. Um, during the hacking, right after the um, when we were hacked, it wasn't immediate. We didn't lose the site immediately. It was in wait, and the thing is, I can see the website being you know deleted slowly, and some of the things were going wrong, and um, and everyone told me you know just wait for the ransom email, and right. yeah, so so. Well, the good thing is I actually got to know six developers who were actually helping me and they were very kind to, you know, to help me, right? And so there, a lot of them told me, you know, the ransom email is going to be about 10,000 or, you know, in the low thousands. But the ransom email came and the hackers wanted 50 bitcoins. Right. Which at the point of time is about 150,000. Right, right. And yeah, which I thought that's insane. You know, I'm never going to pay that. I, I can build a new website, a better website with that. Yeah, and can I just ask then? So it's interesting. So these other developers mentioned that they would expect a ransom to come through for about ten thousand mm. dollars. So is this something that is quite a common occurrence? I I think it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. And and then so what happened was okay. So it was really tough for me because, you know. I didn't want to show. I didn't want to appear emotional in front of everybody, yeah. especially in front of my team, right? And mm. then, but, but then, in, you know, some people were like, "Do you understand what is happening? Right? You're going to lose all your work, two years of work. You're going to lose." And people are asking me, "Why are you not crying? Why are you not breaking down?" Yeah. So throughout that, okay. So, long story short, we, the website got deleted for three weeks. We managed to find around. You know, we managed to find something and 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 got almost sixty percent of the site back. Right. Yeah, right. but and then we spent the next few months um, rebuilding it and rectifying it, and it it was really very painful because I think for most founders to build something new is very exciting, is very fun because you're creating something, right? It it's very exciting. Mm. But when you are when you have to rebuild something that has been done before, it's super painful. 
So for example, mm. writing a 3,000 word essay is painful, but it's fun, you mm. know? But if you have written 3,000 word essay and your laptop crashed, and you have to rewrite those 3,000 word essays. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's painful because you're trying to remember all of those great words that you've put down on paper. Yeah. So, I, can, I can't even imagine. This sounds <laughs> like a, a huge And we have 1,000 over, over pages and content and right. articles. So what happened was throughout those days, I, I really I became very withdrawn. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to be alone. Um, you know, at night, I was just drinking, uh, which didn't help. I was drinking alone at home. Mm. And, and, and I just thought, you know, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to give up because a lot of times you ask yourself, what's the point, right? I mean, you write mm. so much, you don't even know what, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think until one day I wrote, the whole experience. I wrote about the whole experience and I, I left it there. You know, three, four days later, I w- went back to the article that I wrote. I didn't publish it, but I went back to, to, to it and I realized when I read what I wrote, I was very shocked at how much pain I was in. Right. Which I couldn't verbalize out because, you know, there's, I think one thing about being a founder is you're always, people expect you to always be positive, to mm. be always fun, right? Yeah. And when I read it, I, I shared it with some of my close, close friends and they were saying, you know, we always knew that you were upset and you were in pain, but we didn't know how bad it was until right. you read it. Right, yeah. yeah. Did, so, you, did you share that with close friends just directly or did you end up publishing it on the site? No, I just oh. shared it with my close friends. Right. I still, I still could, until now, I mean, a lot of people actually ask me to publish it, but I think I still can't do it because right. it's very, very personal. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the few things, so, and then, so what happened was I actually took three months off to learn coding. I, I joined a coding bootcamp. Right, right. Yeah, um, partly because I blamed myself for the hack. You know, I thought that it was my, it was my lack of understanding of tech. That's why this happened. Right. Even though everybody said it's not, right? Because there was the wanna cry hack and all that. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so, so, so I was, so for the last three months of uh, 2017, I was filming for C- uh, Channel News Asia. I was taking coding bootcamp and I was trying to run the company. Right. Um, oh, you, were, you were doing all of that at the same time, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think it, it gave me time and perspective to think through, um, you know, what I really want to do. One day, uh, I, I sat down with my boyfriend and he said, write down what are your choices if you... I spoke to my boyfriend and I list down 12 things of, you know, my options if I stop the news survey, if I walked away from it. Yeah. And after writing down all that, I thought to myself the pros and cons of each uh, each option. One of it is not doing anything, right? I just needed to, to, to take a break. Mm. Um, but I realized that, you know, I realized that I couldn't walk away. I just can't because I just feel that my work is not done yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so from there, I decided, okay, you know what? I need to pick myself up and I need to learn how to heal. And going back to the question on how do you mm. go through the hard times, I think one of the things that is important is to always have a support system. You know, I always considered myself to be quite tough emotionally and partly because I grew up alone, right? Mm. So I try not to depend on others. But one of the things that this episode taught me was to actually find somebody who understands um, the pain that you're going through 
Yeah. It, it's actually quite, uh, I think one of the greatest things about being a founder in Singapore is the community is very, very, very encouraging. You know, I have a lot, when I, I tell people how, um, how tough, times yeah. are they understand and they try to actually encourage you yeah yeah I, uh, I, I completely agree with you I completely agree Singapore has such a vibrant support and supportive group of uh, founders and and also business people who are working on the corporate side who are really keen to help as well that's yeah. what I've found yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think the other thing is also to f- realize that you know um to I think, which is why going back, it's not only passion because I think my my passion for the news that we had was gone then. Yeah, right. For those few dark months, right? But I think I kept thinking of the purpose and the purpose is to actually increase the financial literacy of women across Asia. And I kept thinking about it and I asked myself, you know, will I regret if I walk away now? Because, you know, you have devoted about two and a half years of your life, right? And you just walk away because... Or something that beats you. So yep. yeah, I, I think the other things that I do is, of course, other than uh, finding friends who understand whether it is to celebrate or commiserate, is to actually exercise. Mm, yeah, right. I yep. mean, yeah, I try to exercise almost uh, daily. Yeah, yeah. Because even if it's just a 10, 15 minutes, because it just helps you clear your mind. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with you. So I. Uh, on, on all of those points that you just mentioned, actually, I, you know, I, I make an effort to get up and do yoga first thing every morning. And, wow. and it is an, a, not for very long, just so long as I do it for 20 minutes. I find it sometimes creeps a bit longer than that, but it's just a way to level set my day because I think, you know, I can really identify with a lot of what you said around the challenges and, you know, the responsibility that you feel on your shoulders. Uh, and also, uh, that need to always be up and positive all the time, uh, presenting yeah. sort of a you know positive outlook to everyone else around you because you're who they're looking to for for leadership <laughs> and guidance. Uh, but yeah, definitely the, that daily exercise as, and also the the support network. I think you know uh, absolutely having a couple of close people, partner, family, uh, you know, and and being honest about where you're at as well. I think is just absolutely key. That's what I've found. Yeah. And I think one thing you mentioned, which I agree, is to actually ask for help. Mm. You know, I, I think a lot of times we are inflicted by this um, mentality that we, we need to be good at everything, right? But a lot of us are really young founders, or, or rather, mm. this is my first time. This is yeah. probably your first time, right? I yeah, mean, it is. And, it is. Yeah. You know, no one... <laughs> No one knows how to do this. There was no manuals. Okay, you can read all yeah. the business books that you want, but it's just different, right? <laughs> Completely. Yeah, so I, Completely. There's nothing like actually doing it. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. You, you know, you, like managing a team, I read, I mean, I can read 10 books about HR policies or, you know, building culture, but it's very, very different when you're actually doing it. Yeah. And yeah. like you mentioned, there's a lot of people who are in corporates who are actually willing to help. So, mm. um, that's what one thing that I do. I actually ask people for help or at least opinion and advice on how I should approach problems that I have. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Anna. I've really enjoyed speaking with you about uh, about your journey and about the new savvy and can completely identify with so much of your journey as well, actually. And uh, just want to say a big thank you and wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Jodi. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.